At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Coming up on episode 271 of Wheel Bearings, we've got the Volvo XC60 Recharge, riding some e-bikes, the Hyundai Kona EV, the Kia Niro EV and plug-in hybrid, the Fisker Ocean, the Volvo EX90, the new Honda Accord, and more. All that coming up next. This is episode 271 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam with Wheel Sandwich from Guidehouse Insights. And I am Nicole Wakeland from the Newsweek's Fast Women podcast. And Nicole is back, and Robbie's gone this time because Robbie is in L.A. today doing the uh, driving cars for the, he's a juror for the World Car of the Year program. Uh, So he's doing that in L.A. today. Meanwhile, you're heading to L.A. tomorrow to drive the same cars. To do the same thing. So I'm also on the jury, but I decided I was going to show up a little bit later to the event because I've driven a lot of these already for the North American Car and Truck of the Year. So So I have fewer that I need to get my hands on. So I actually really, Sam, the whole reason I did this, I'm like, I I have to be there for wheel bearings to heck with World Car. I I really appreciate that. And hopefully (laughs) next week we can get all three of us back together. Oh, that would be wonderful. I thought it was going to be this week when you said Robbie wasn't here. I was like, no. Oh, I thought we finally had all Yeah, well, when I talked to Robbie last week, you know, we were talking about this week, and and he he told me, I couldn't remember what he told me, but he told me he couldn't do today Mm -hmm. because, uh, and it turns out it's because of the world car, uh, and we were going to try and record tomorrow, but of course, you won't be available tomorrow. I'll be be on an airplane tomorrow. Yeah, Yeah. see, this is complicated. We are busy, busy people, all of us, All three of us are on and off airplanes. (laughs) Yeah, I just got back from Austin from the Electrify Expo there. Yes, and I just got back... uh, Three days ago from Austria, driving the Fisker Ocean, which I will talk about a little bit later. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, what else have you been driving? Okay, I have a million cars to talk about this week, which is good that Robbie's not here because I'll take his time slot. Um, so, but it's all EV, it's all electric. Well, I have one hybrid in there, but it's like all about electrification. All plugins. All plugins. There's plugins and yeah, everything plugs in. I feel like I have jumped forward. Like the future is here. So I'm going to start. If you could see the little list. It's like post-it mm-hmm. notes all over my desk. Like, so I have each car all laid out. So I'm going to start with these. This, the first car is the Hyundai Kona EV. Isn't that what Robbie has? Doesn't he have a Kona? He does. He, he and yeah. his wife own a Kona, or, or Lisa Kona EV, yes. So I'm kind of sad he's not here to be like, yay, my car, because I was thinking about him when this came in. So the Hyundai Kona EV, it's a carryover this year. There's three different trims. It runs anywhere from 33550 to 41550 So 41 Getting a little pricier, but thirty-three-five is a little bit more reasonable. Like mm-hmm. that's a that's a car. You that, can I mean, get that's into. that's at the low end. You know, the si- it's the second cheapest 
EV that you can get with a, a range of more than 200 miles. The only other one that's cheaper is the, the Bolt. Yes, exactly. So it's so it's not a bad deal. And I like, you know, I've always said I like Hyundai's because I do feel like they, um, you get a lot of bang for your buck with them. The same thing of Kia, which I'm going to talk about later. You know, they put a lot of content in the vehicle so you don't get a base trim and feel like, oh man, I have made a horrible mistake. Like it doesn't feel horrible and cheap and plasticky and all the least number of features they still come pretty well featured. You know, you get more if you go higher, but you get a decent car in that base trim. So what you get is 258 miles of range. You get 200 horsepower, 291 pound-feet of torque. Um, you can charge it relatively quickly. So depending on what you use for a charger, that 10 to 80% charging rate that everybody gives nowadays, at a level 3, about 47 minutes. At a level 2, 64 minutes. That's not, not bad. bad. I mean, you know, that is... Um, you know, that's 75 kilowatt charging, which is better than a Bolt. Right. But not as good as most of the newer EVs. Exactly. So it's not like, woohoo, amazing, but it's also not terrible. So I'm going to call it average on that front. Um, it is front wheel drive only. So if you live in the Northeast or someplace snowy, like where you live, Sam, then you need to go get some winter tires, which we've raved about winter tires, people. Which you should probably do anyway, even if you all, have all-wheel drive. Yes. It's November. If you live somewhere where it's snowy and cold, even though we've had like 70-degree days the last few days, your winter tires should be on your car by now. Um, so, and it comes with, like we were talking about, I was mentioning the standard features. There's heated front seats, an eight-way power driver's seat, an eight-inch infotainment screen. You get wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. That's all on the base trim. That, that's pretty cool. Like the heated front seat things, that's, that's kind of neat. An eight-way power driver's seat, a lot of base trims, you're getting a manual seat. So it's like little things, but they do make the experience a little bit better. Um, if you move up the trim, you get a 10.25-inch infotainment screen. but And I know there's a reason for this next bit, and I always forget what it is, but it's wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto in the base, but it's wired when you move up. You get a bigger screen, but now you got to plug in a wire. And I remember once having this explained to me why. Were you the person, Sam? You know everything. I, I think it's, it's because of the particular head unit that they're using with the bigger screen. It's the, the, electronics, the electronics box that drives that bigger screen Okay. Um, is actually an older box that doesn't have the support, doesn't have the wireless support built in. So that's so it's it feels yeah. like the one is one of those weird times, like yeah, get more, but not right there. <laughs> like yeah. The one thing that goes backwards. So you got to plug it in, but you'll survive. Um, this the higher trims also get an eight speaker Harman Kardon audio. There's leather trims. There's ventilated front seats, and you also get a ten point two five inch digital instrument cluster. So you get some kind of cool stuff as you move up. So this is like, you know the. It's small. It's not a big car, but it's, I really like this, like tooling around in it for a couple of days. It was a fun car. Um, it was easy to drive. It has plenty of power. It has a good little amount of cargo room. I mean, it's not, if you're looking for a cargo hauler or something for lots of people, this just isn't the right segment. It's too small for you. But if you want something that's a little bit more compact, like you're, you're just carrying random groceries, you're not someone who's doing home improvement projects in your, you know, and needing your car, or you have something bigger that you can use to do that. But if you live someplace where you want an EV, you've got 258 miles of range. Your daily drive is more than covered by this. Um, don't worry about range anxiety, people. 258 miles. How often do you drive that in a day? I still hear so many people complaining about saying, well, it's going to run out of juice. So I'm going to be out. I'm like, how much do you drive in an average day? Uh, well, the answer to that question is yes. 80% of Americans drive less than 40 miles a day. So. 
If average American listening, you drive far less than what the Kona EV is able to provide you for range. So stop worrying about the range anxiety. If you're going on a road trip, which you're not doing every single day, then you have to plan it out a little bit to make sure that you stop to charge and you know where the chargers are. And, you know, but it's not, it's not as hard as you think. But um, yeah, for the average person, I think this is a great city car. I like the size of this. And, you know? you know, because of its size, it's easy to park. It's a lot so, easier to park than trying to find a, uh, trying to parallel park a Hummer, for example. Yeah. Well, this week I happen to have, and I will talk about it in a later episode because I have so much, I have a Ram 1500. Oh. And it's like, oh my God, I literally pulled into the parking lot to go watch uh, Black Adam yesterday. And I couldn't find a parking space where people weren't, par- I'm like, seriously, I'm going to have to park in the next town over because all these spots are too small. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. The, you know, um. You talked about, we mentioned winter, you know, and one of the things that happens in wintertime with an EV is you do lose some range. And the truth is, even with a gas or diesel-powered vehicle, you lose a lot of fuel efficiency in wintertime because right. you've got more rolling resistance when you've got snow and slush on the road. Um, you know, the battery, when the battery's cold, um, it has less power. As it warms up, it actually starts to release that power again. But, mm-hmm. at, you know, as it's, when it's cold, you, you lose some. And a couple of years ago, um, I guess, I guess almost three years ago now, when the Kona EV first came out, I had one in like early February. Yeah. And the temperature here was sub-zero Fahrenheit. You know, oh, it was geez. one of those polar vortex periods yeah. when I had it. And I still got, you know, 100 and, over 170 miles of range out of it, even when it's sub-zero. So, yeah, it lost about 30% of its range. But when you've got 258 to start with, that's, that's plenty. Right. You can lose a chunk of range and you're Mm -hmm. still okay. You know, and it, and the thing is knowing that like my, even with the, we have a plug-in hybrid, which everyone knows my husband's used to it. He's like, oh yeah, the range is a little bit lower. Like he just knows he's getting a little bit less and granted he has a gas engine as backup, but it's just the standard look. Oh, it's a little bit colder. The range isn't going to be what it was. You get, you get used to how your own car drives and you get used to how it behaves in various road conditions, just in terms of driving, like how does it handle? The same thing is true of your EV battery usage. You get used to how your car is reacting to the temperature, to how you drive, to where you drive, if you're going up steep hills or something through a whole, you know, up a mountain for some reason. You get used to those things. So like, it's, I I like, I'm really, I feel like I'm being like really super pro EV, but I've driven some EVs lately that I've really, really, really liked. And I'm coming to like them more and more. And I keep hearing people saying all these negative things about them. And oh, we can't do it. I'm like, well, it's not like we're going to flip a switch. And tomorrow we're ripping down all the gas stations. And you have to survive your life on the existing EV infrastructure, nothing more. The gas it's stations will be there at least until the end of the year. At least. You got like two months, people. So like, so it's, but it's, so it's this sort of panicky thing. I'm like, ah, it's, it's new stuff. And it's like a sort of that book, what, who moved my cheese? You know, things are different, but gosh, give EVs a chance. There's some good ones. And this is one of them. I like the Kona EV. That's on my yes list. I like it. Very good. So then we're going to go to their sister company. I thought it was kind of perfect. I had the Kona EV and then I went on a little sort of curated drive program for the Kia Nero EV and plug-in hybrid because I wasn't able to make the actual drive. So uh, our Kia guy, uh, Jeff, was fantabulous enough to, to still give me a chance to go for a drive. And I took it from uh, Boston down to Newport, Rhode Island, and we drove around all day, and we had a chance to drive the hybrid and the EV. So it was kind of a road trippy kind of thing. Um, what was kind of neat is we stopped. We didn't need to go and charge 
the EV. Obviously, it's not that far. But when we stopped, we charged anyway, just for kicks and giggles. And people came over to talk to us, like random Joe with his dunks. It couldn't have been more New England. He's got his Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> He's got his little bag of donuts. He's got munchkins that his buddies eating out of his bag. Coming over to ask me about how an EV works and what it was like and did I like driving it and he's trying to get his wife to get one but she's worried about all these things. Um, it was kind of fun to talk to people like to a, like just a, a regular Joe out there who had a lot of questions and had really good questions. Um, he thought it was easy. I thought that, that the little Nero looked good. He's like, this is a cute little car. I was like, I agree, it's a cute little car. Um, and then I told Kia, I'm like, I think I just, I just sold a Nero EV, so my address for the commission on that will be. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it was neat to talk to someone who was on the edge and who saw, you know, okay, here's someone who's who has one who's plugging it in. And there were, we had a rest area. There were probably, I think there were four different chargers. Every single one was empty when we got there, and all appeared to be operable, working, no broken anything. Wait, four chargers that were all fully functional? Uh huh. Yeah. That's why I'm mentioning this. Four. Four, my friend. Which brand was that again? Oh, God. Now you're going to ask me who it was. (laughs) I have to look. I have a picture of it somewhere. I forget which brand it was. But it was, they were all working. Like, from what I didn't, like, obviously plug into each one, but everything seemed to be working. Didn't have any broken things or tape or we're out of order, suck it up, buttercup signs hanging out on the thing. So, um, can I find it? No, I don't have a picture of the charging station company. Um, That's all right. Oh, wait. No, I do. Wait. It was ChargePoint. Oh, okay. I had to, I'm like focusing in on a picture to see what it says on the side of the actual plug. Well, so all was, you got to for charge point, all you got to do is if they're big orange chargers, then you know it's a charge point. Is it? Well, in my picture that you can't see, all I have is like the nozzle that I have oh, a picture okay. of. So you can't see that <laughs> so much of it. I'm like, I don't know what this is. Um, and that was, you know, that was like two weeks ago. I can't expect you to remember this stuff two weeks <laughs> later. What color was it? <laughs> Sam. Um, so we So we drove the, the both the hybrid and the, the plug-in hybrid and the actual EV. I actually like the EV better. I just felt like it was a little smoother, a little bit, I don't know, more well-mannered. Mm-hmm. Um, not that the plug-in was bad, but I, if I was going to pick between the two, I liked the actual EV. The hybrid runs 37400 I think, to about 39000 whereas the EV, 39000 to forty-four. So you have, it's almost like the EV starts uh, where the top trim of the hybrid ends. So you do end up paying a little bit more, but we we're <coughs> talking about the pricing on that, um, the Hyundai, the Hyundai started at thirty three five. This start the the Nero starts at thirty nine. So it really is that Hyundai's a deal, you know, that you can get it that much cheaper. Um, both of them are really well equipped. Both of them are really comfortable to drive. They have the same sort of you know the, they do the same thing that Hyundai does. You get a lot of stuff in the interior of that vehicle. Um, it feels like a premium offering, not like a luxury car, but not like a. It is super affordable. It doesn't feel like a cheap car. Like in any guys, it never feels like a cheap car. And mm-hmm. frankly, sometimes for the price points that these brands are at, they are cheap, relatively speaking, you know, just from a price point of view. Um, you get, again, a really good range in the the uh, electric. It's 253 miles. So once again, don't worry about this whole, like, I'm going to run out of juice. Um, it can charge. They gave their numbers a little bit differently, and I didn't do a math thing because you're the engineer, Sam. But it can charge in 43 minutes at a 350 kilowatt charger and 65 minutes at a 50 kilowatt. Okay. Uh, is that so, from 10 to 80%? 10 to 80. Okay. 
So Sam, if you could see, like I can see now, the <laughs> like the smoke's coming out of Sam's ears. So I still feel like that's a pretty decent amount of charging, um, and it's quiet and it's comfortable, and I enjoy driving the EV. The plug-in hybrid, you're going to get. Um, 33 miles of range in the plug-in, which is a decent plug-in hybrid range. Um, in that one, I, you know, it's 180 horsepower, 195 pound-feet of torque, and you've got the plug-in hybrid is at 1.6 liter four-cylinder. They both come with a good range of features, but I think that really the thing is I like, it was it came down to the drive. I just felt like the, and it's not like the plug-in was bad, but if you can afford the extra little bump to go with the straight-up electric and you're ready to make that move, I would go with the electric because I thought it was fantastic. It was, we spent a lot of time driving around in that. We were driving around Newport. We were checking out the ocean. Um, we were, you know, just spent a whole basically three days sort of living with that car as if we were on a little mini vacation. Me, I was with Eileen Falkenberg Hall, mm -hmm. my Newsweek co-host. So the two of us were driving around. Um, it was very easy to live with. I, I found it a very easy. And then we even charged, we went to, um, into Providence briefly and, we parked at a parking garage and there were chargers there. And that one, I didn't take a picture of. It was a company I'd never heard of. And just so you know, Mr. If they're orange, they were orange, but it was in charge point. Oh, okay. But it was also, here was, the, here was the drawback thing though. You know, when you talk about like nothing was broken, there were only, I think two chargers in this giant parking garage, but it was like, okay, so, and I can't remember the level, go to level two <laughs> in the back and you will have a charge. And we're They're like, in a dark corner of well, like, some like, upper level where somewhere. Are they? I'm like wandering around this parking. We're like, oh God. I'm like, think if you were really running low on power and this is your stop, you'd be like, oh God, I'm not going to make it. I'm going to get stuck on level one and I'm never ever going to find where these are. So once we found it, it was like, huzzah, but they were kind of hard to find. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's, it would That's always been one of my annoyances um, with, you know, some of the chargers, you know, especially in parking garages and things like yeah. that. They, they, they tend to be hidden somewhere and, and they don't put any signs up. To tell that you was the thing. Are. Like you knew we were looking at an app, so we knew there were chargers there. But then we got there, and it was like, where are they? You know, you see a million signs in a garage. You know, Nordstrom, like in a mall. Nordstrom's mm -hmm. this way, Macy's that way. Go this way for X Street. They Go won't that tell way you for where y the chargers Street. are. But they will not tell you. They will not put up a stinking sign so you know where the chargers are. So you do in a large parking garage. You're like driving aimlessly along and trying to figure out what corner of level two actually has the chargers. Been there, done that. Yeah. So that was not fun. Um, but you know, once I got it plugged in, we we were there for a little while again, sort of like topped it off. So we were out and about, and we just. Just, just sort of finding the chargers that were there and available. Like we mm. weren't, oh my God, we got to find one. Just what was there and what was available. And we were easily able to keep this thing charged, which was pretty cool. Yeah. So uh, while you were talking, I pulled up the specs for yes. the, the Nero. Yes. And that reminded me that one of the things about the Nero <clears throat> is unlike the newer, the other new EVs from Hyundai, Kia, and Genesis, which are built on the EGMP architecture. Mm -hmm. um, this uh, does not have the really super fast charging, so it won't charge at 240 kilowatts like a, an EV6 or an Ionic 5 or a GV60 does. Um, the maximum charge rate is like 80, 80 or 85 kilowatts, so it's only okay. slightly faster than the Kona. Um, and you know, they it's it's interesting that they they list the the charge times to 80 percent on a 50 kilowatt, like you said, 65 yeah. minutes. On a hundred kilowatt charger, it drops to forty-five minutes, but it's not. It won't actually use the full hundred kilowatts. It's only using about eighty or eighty-five. Yeah. And on three fifty kilowatts, 
um, it'll it drops it by only another two minutes when you go from a hundred to a to a three fifty to mm-hmm. forty three minutes. So I think it probably is able to sustain it a little bit longer on the three fifty because the three fifty's got better cooling of the charger and everything. Yeah. Um, so what I would recommend if you if you do buy one of these, yeah, um, please if you go to a go to a charging station and there are multiple chargers and like the one nearby me here is you know there's at the EA station there's six chargers there two of them are 350 kilowatt chargers the other four are 150s mm-hmm. if you buy a Nero unless all the other chargers are full please don't use the 350 kilowatt charger <laughs> because somebody else can use that yes and because if somebody quickly. that has an EV that with a faster charge rate comes up you know they would like to be able to use that for example <laughs> last week when I Uh-oh. had um, the Lucid Air uh, for the weekend, <clears throat> I uh, uh, I went over to the EA station. Yes. And there was a, a Chevy Bolt parked at the <gasps> 350 kilowatt charger. The Bolt only charges at 50 kilowatts. Did you shake your fist at the sky in frustration, Sam? No. Uh, no, I'm I'm a nice guy. <laughs> I don't do that sort of nonsense. <laughs> I just I waited until he walked into the store and slashed his tires. Okay, that's um, a much more acceptable reaction. Yeah, I approve. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I did not do that. <laughs> I'm before, before you message Sam, that it's not Sam either. He would not do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, please, you know, be be courteous when you're charging. Yeah. Um, you know, use the use the 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 slowest or the the charger that most closely matches what your car is capable of. Yes, let's put it that way. Not necessarily the slowest, but the one that matches what you can do. You know, so if you've got a car that'll charge at 100 kilowatts, use a 100 or a 150. Don't mm-hmm. use the 350 unless that's the only thing available. I mean, if it's the only thing available, then yeah, right. go ahead. But, but yeah, try you're not to be gonna, kind to think yeah. about the fact that like if you can use something that where you're not going to block somebody who could take advantage of that higher charging rates, don't don't do that. Don't like you use use the one that's the lowest one that you know. Works for you, like use a lower one if that's the highest your car can handle. Don't use one that it can't even handle anyway. Yeah, because your your car actually is the limiting factor there. Right. Yeah. You, know, um, you can you can you can hook it up to a faster charger, but it ain't going to charge any fast. Well, it, it's not really going to charge any significantly faster. You might right. get two minutes, and that's about it. That's about it. So it's not going to make a huge difference. So right. Yeah. Yeah. Oop! Right. I just wonked the microphone. Sorry, <laughs> that big thunk. <laughs> It happens. It happens. Okay, and I have one more car. All right, one more. One more because, okay, this one, I went to Austria just to drive the Fisker Ocean. So you were Um, one of the very first people that doesn't work for Fisker or Magna (laughs) that got to drive it. They got to drive it. It was a very small uh, program in a couple of waves. They had some journalists from uh, Europe and the U.S., and they had some analysts in as well on different waves. Very small wave. The journalist on my way was like literally me and two other folks. Um, so very small. The cool part of it was that because it was so small, if there was a question you had, man, they they were there. You had the engineers, you had the interior designers. Henrik was there along with his wife Gita. So you have like the guy whose name is on the car is sitting there having dinner across from you. Like you, you can ask if there's questions you want to know about his decisions about what was included and what wasn't and pricing and why they picked this factory and why they picked that factory or that fabric, or that trim. He knows it was really cool. It was neat to sit there and just listen to him talk, because he is an interesting character. Did, did you um, do an in-depth deep dive on the company's finances with Gita? I, I did not choose to do an in-depth 
deep dive on the company's finances with Gita. I'll leave that to you, Sam. You can Gita, Gita, Gita is, is Henrik Fisker's wife, Gita Fisker, yes. and she is also the CFO of the company. So. Yes, so the two of them were there the whole time, and um, both lovely hosts uh, for the event and, um, yeah, had a lot of information. And the off-the-cuff stuff that was like, don't say this stuff, which I won't say, um, man has a sense of humor and so does his wife. It was really, it was, it was fun to chat with them. Um, and they were very good. They were very informative and they were, it was interesting to see the, the perspective they had and the things that they know were their challenges and the things that they think they've got, you know, and we won't know for sure until the car hits the market. But so we got to drive it where we drove it is at the Magna Steer? Am I saying that right? Steer, thank you. Facility, which is where they're manufacturing it. So instead of manufacturing it like we have built our own facility, we're going to do it all ourselves, they're using the expertise of Magna. But when you go inside, because we did a tour, there are very specific sections where it's like this, you're using our facility, but, and some of our expertise, but, you know, Fisker's owning this little bit. You have to buy this equipment to do this testing. You have to buy that equipment to do that testing. So it's a, it definitely is an interesting partnership. And we saw plenty of oceans rolling off the line. So they, you know, they're 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 getting things together. There's bits and pieces. We watched, you know, robot arms solder stuff and things going everywhere. So it was neat to see. Um, it was it was funny. We spent a lot of time looking at uh, details, which I think is a lot of what makes the ocean a little bit different. Like the doggy window. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with the doggy window? Yeah, in the in back in the between the C pillar and the D pillar at the, the back corners of the car. Right. So to do that initially, I guess he was like this sort of engineering response is you can't do that. He's like, well, sure we can. We just got to figure it out. And he was they happened to have one where the guys were fitting parts into that like testing stuff with that while we were there. And it was neat to see how they had to carve the out you know the metal here and put an extra strength in there and then wedge this little thing. It's it's very tightly packaged and it was kind of interesting to see how they did that stuff. Um, as far as the car itself, you get four trims. Um, the base trim is the Sport. It's $37,499. The top trim technically is the One, which is a limited edition. That's $68,999. Same price as the Extreme. And the difference is the One gets fancy badging and I think a fancy color. So it's like a couple little cosmetic things. And I think it, it basically includes all the options as standard. Yeah, equipment. it has everything. So, it's, it, so you can get that. You could have gotten that. That sold out. But now you can get the Extreme, which I don't think is sold out. I don't think. Um, so you've got basically three trim levels to choose from because that one is pretty much gone. Um, there, it's it's a really beautiful car. Like the interior design, it's actually really sleekly designed. Like one of the things that I really liked about this, you don't see a speaker, but it has an audio system. They've sort of hidden the speaker grills behind sort of fabric treatments and things. So when you look, everything's very clean because you don't see a big speaker grill with a trim and all that. In the interest of giving that sort of very streamlined appearance, um, even the controls at, at, for the um, air vents. So you can control hot and cold right there with some buttons that are on the infota- under the infotainment screen, or you can go into the infotainment and control them as well. But if you want to c- control the directional part, it is, again, in the infotainment. You sort of, like, drag and hold it where you want the vents to go. So there's no little toggle vent things, which I'm honestly not sure how I feel about. I don't know if I love that or hate that because, like, suddenly you're freezing and you want to change the angle of your air vent, you have to go to the infotainment to change the angle of your air vent. Yeah, see that's that's see no, that I'm not wrong. that I'm not keen on. I don't have a problem with it being there, but I kind of want I kind of wanted a little. I'm like I don't know how I feel. It looks really nifty. I mean, the graphic is really cool, but that was like one of those like mm, this sounds cool, but when my face is freezing and I just want to quick flip it out of the way, you can't. So you know, like, and and I, you know I understand why they a big part of the reason why they did. I mean, there's two mm-hmm. two main drivers for that. One 
is, you know, you want a clean look. You don't want too many buttons right. and switches. Exactly. Um, but that also detracts from functionality. You know, yeah. The the other component is cost. Yeah. You know, engineering all of those comp- all and those pieces. switches and buttons mm-hmm. and and everything and assembling all that adds a significant amount of cost. Yeah. And you know, this is why why Tesla does everything in software because it's right. cheaper and easier to do it in software um, than it is to actually engineer it and, and put it together, but it's harder to use. Right. So, so it's a trade-off between usability and cost. Yeah, and that was weirdly, that was one of the things usability-wise, I kind of was like, I don't, I don't think I get, I don't like this one. I like, I, that was the one thing I didn't like. Um, but what I did, they have the spinning infotainment screen. I don't know if you've seen mm-hmm. this. Sam. Yeah, I saw it last year so in LA when they revealed 17. it. 17.1 inch infotainment screen. And normally it's in like portrait mode, how, is, how it sits on your dash. And they call that, I think, control mode. But mm-hmm. then you can flip it into Hollywood mode, which is a landscape mode. Um, and you, can, you hold a little button that's right beneath the infotainment screen. You hold it for a couple seconds and it rotates. Hold it for a couple seconds again, it rotates back. It only works when the car is parked. It's not going to be spinning around as the driver's trying to drive. Um, and it, you can't pull out, pull away with it in that longer Hollywood mode. It, it makes you go back into control mode as a safety thing. Um, the engineer that was there was fantastic, and he talked a lot about how they did that and the motor that was required and the amount of engineering that had to happen with that to make it safe and to keep it from vibrating because, you know, instead of being, like, fixed on your dash, it moves. So you don't want it, like, moving and shaking at all if you're going over a bumpy road or just coming loose. So there was a lot that went into that, and they said, you know, talking about cost, that's something they spent a lot of money on to make that screen. So it's, you know, it's an interesting, okay, so we don't have vents that we can move on our own, but we do have a really fun (laughs) infotainment screen that revolves on your dashboard for if you need to sit in and charge. Um, And it was kind of neat, you know, and you watch everything goes, you know, the orientation of everything flips, you know, suddenly you're here and there's like blink, blink, and now you're here. There is supposed to be a graphic apparently that shows when you're flipping from one mode to the next, but um, they didn't have that. That wasn't in the ones that we were getting. We were uh, checking out. We were still looking at technically prototypes. So not everything was completely finished perfect. That was one of the things. That graphic wasn't there yet. But I put up a video of this screen spinning on my Instagram, which was kind of fun. It's just kind of neat to see it because you're not used to that. Like a spinning infotainment screen. Who has that? Um, but the system seemed pretty easy to use. The screen was responsive. It's nice and crisp. Um, they also have some other neat features inside of it, and they're literally called taco trays. Sam, they're called taco trays. <laughs> um, I want to know the the badass who is able to eat a taco while he's in a car, even when it's parked and not wear the taco, because that would not be me. I would be like, I had tacos for lunch, because you would see it all over my <laughs> shirt. Uh, but they, there's one that um, deploys out where your, uh, your glove box would be. You push a little thing and a little tray pops out of there for the passenger. And the other one, you open the center console and it folds out and it's like a slightly larger sort of clamshell little table. The idea being that if you're stopped and you are eating and you need a little surface or you need a little work surface, like you could set like a little, your phone up there or whatever. It gives you a little flat surface to use when you're not driving. It's kind of cool. And I was wondering about the storage. I'm like, yeah, but you lost a glove box. You're like, no, you didn't. Cause when you look under the front seats, yeah, there's this little door that flips down, and there's a little pod for storing stuff. Um, so you can put stuff in there, as sort of Henrik had said at one of the conversations, like, it's kind of where you put the junk you don't really use often. That's where you stick, like, you know, your registrations in there, your insurance is in there, the manual you never read is in there. Is that under like, the seat, under the passenger it's seat? It's under the passenger okay. seat. Like, it's a, yeah, so if you just reach under the passenger seat, you turn this little toggle and pop it down, and there's, like, a little 
little space in there to store stuff. Um, so that was, so, the, you know, it's like, okay, so we, we gave you this cool table thing. You took away your glove box. No, we didn't. We just kind of put it in a different spot. Something you don't go into that much anyway, we put it in a different spot. Um, so that was, a, I thought, was a neat feature. Uh, so there's neat stuff in there. You know, like, I think that's, I think the little doggy window is a neat feature. I think the taco trays are a neat feature. I think the flipping into rotating infotainment screen is a neat feature. So it has features you're not going to find everywhere else, which kind of make it neat and different and interesting. As much as it's cool, like, okay, but you're driving a car, what's it like to drive? We, again, we're driving a prototype that is still getting some finessing. I think they sort of said like, okay, we're like 85, 90% of the way there, but we're just doing little tweaks to try to make it better and make it better and make it better because a lot of this is software stuff, you know, that you can, mm-hmm. you can keep finessing it until you're ready to say it's done. Um, it or you ship re- it and keep finessing it afterwards. Or you keep it, which is what half the, yeah, which is what a lot of things are, what's happening now. Um, so it is a responsive vehicle to drive. It handles well. We had a little, the section we drove was on the track at Magna. So they had a setup where we did like an acceleration, you know, like a launch control type deal. Um, then we had a hard break. They, they called it the moose test. You know, you break mm-hmm. as if you're about to hit a moose and see if the you can double stop. lane change. Yeah. And do the yeah. double lane change. Then we had some like slalom things and then they had a circle. They even had a skid pad or on purpose that was, you know, covered with water. If anyone's never driven on one of these, it's super slick. Like you're like, it's just water. No, it's designed to have zero <laughs> grip. So when you turn your wheel, you slide and it was like, just so you could kind of feel how does it, how well does it handle that kind of thing to recover? Um, it handled really well. I was impressed with it. And they were still working on the torque. Um, yeah, direction. I lost the word that I'm torque looking vectoring. for. Torque vectoring. Thank you. The torque vectoring. So that wasn't even remotely close to where it was going to be. It was almost kind of like a 50-50 thing while we were driving it. And it still did really well. So I feel like as they continue to tweak that, I think it'll get better. If that's what I thought, okay, if this is what I'm experiencing and it's not where it's going to be, it should be even better. Um, so I was impressed with how it drive. Uh, you know, it has the usual EV quiet, um, you know, which you love. And it's, I, I didn't have any complaints about the drive and I was impressed with it. I thought it drove really well. So let me, uh, let me ask you this. You recently also drove the VinFast VF8. Yes. And you had some complaints about that one not being quite finished. Yes. Which, which one of these, the, the Fisker Ocean or the VF8, do you think is closer to being ready give to customers the fisker ocean okay a hundred percent i don't even have to think about it um the, because here's the thing i feel like the things that fisker was saying to all of us hey guys this little bit we're still finessing that little bit we're still finessing they they came right on and said what you're driving is not what you're going to get we're this this little bit isn't quite ready yet and we're still working on it it'll be more ready by the time it gets into customer hands the difference was vinfast was like oh no it's ready to go like they weren't yeah. acknowledging that there were things. And so there's a difference there. So I feel like what VinFast is shipping is what VinFast is shipping. What, what Fisker is shipping, they could ship it right as it is right now. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's totally fine, but they're still improving it. But I think, I think Fisker's, I, I have more confidence in the product. If like from what I saw where Fisker was and what I saw where VinFast was, if you were asking me which one, uh, you know, I would, I would, what would I spend my money on or what would I like say has a better chance or seems more solid, I guess I would definitely point to the Fisker Ocean. Okay. And uh, did they, I know when I talked to Henrik a year yeah. ago at the LA Auto Show uh-huh. um, and they, sh- they first showed off the production intent version of the Ocean, yeah. um, you know, they talked about, you know, it's supposed to start production like 
you know, job one this week, official yeah. non-pre-production, but actual production models this week. Yes. Uh, this coming week as we're recording this. And then shipping to customers like it should be arriving in North America not long into the new year. Correct. Is that still the target? Yeah. So the official start of production, I believe, is November 17th. I, I, mm-hmm. it, I think that was the date. I'm pretty sure. So that's the official, official start of production, the November 17th. They're going to be, it will be shipping into North America the beginning of the year. They're saying, like, I think they said early 2023, I believe, is the technical early. Put that Mm -hmm. in air quotes. But they're saying, like, by March. Um, But the the only thing, and this this has come up in a couple of different places, and I, I do think it's worth mentioning, but I think this really needs clarification. When you're talking about, you know how the OTA updates, and that's a big thing. They can OTA update, and that's actually, generally speaking, a good thing, because you can update something that you realize is not quite white, right? Whoever you are as an automaker, you can make it right without having to, you know, bring the car and plug it into something. You can just over the air update it. The one thing that they, and it was sort of weirdly phrased in the press kit, is the safety features on this. There's a list of, of pretty standard safety features. And the way it's phrased is like, it, it looks like it's an over the air update. And everyone was kind of like, wait, what? Like, because this isn't like, advanced highway driving assist or something it's like automatic emergency braking like things that are pretty basic and I guess where they're there it's in there because they wanted to hit the letter of the law kind of thing and make sure that they were very clear uh, that a super teeny tiny number of vehicles may actually get into customer hands initially without those features we're talking a really small number how exactly many couldn't tell you now is that without the software or without hardware Without software, because okay. all it will take to fix this is an OTA. So an OTA will very quickly come. It, it, it was sort of like some people read it, but I actually sat there and I said to the engineer, I need some clarification because it seems weird. <laughs> You're shipping a car without the safety. And he's like, let me clarify. So there will be a few, maybe, kind of, that will hit without that initial stuff. But in very short order, that will be an OTA that will fix it. But the vast bulk of the vehicles that are going to end up in customer hands will have already had that OTA, so they will have it. So, and that would be like, you know, a very small number. So that is just something worth noting because it is a negative thing, but I feel like it needs complete clarification. It's not like, oh, we're shipping your car. There isn't any safety. That's not what it is. There's an OTA coming. A small number may get it without it initially, and that will all be over an OTA, but the vast majority will have that when they get the car. So in terms of your OTA stuff, that's one of the OTA things that they're sort of prioritizing. Let's get this into customer hands and we'll, the few that get it early before this is quite ready, we'll OTA it and make it happen. Okay. That's, that's all right. Um, that's good. Um, yeah. All right. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to driving that, you know, once they get here, um, hopefully early in the year. Yeah, it's, it's a solid car. I think people are going to be impressed. I think the little features inside, you know, that, that make it different, the design that's a little bit different, it's, 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 a, it's a solid it's a solid vehicle. I, 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 I had a lot of reservations about Vinfast making a solid vehicle. I don't have the same reservations about Fisker. Well, I mean, you know, Magna, Magna Steer, you know, mm-hmm. is part of, part of Magna International, you know, I think third largest automotive supplier in the world behind Bosch and Continental. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Magna Steer has been building vehicles, you know, building their contract manufacturer. They've been building vehicles for right. companies, including BMW, Porsche. Jaguar, right? Um, Mini, um, Chrysler. Yeah, uh, we were we were Jeep in the factory. For, uh, Mercedes Benz. Yeah, for we were in the factory, and there were years. like 
tons of G like there's sections for different vehicles yeah. and it's like you go by here has a whole bunch of G wagons here's a yep. whole bunch of yep. BMWs and here's your Fiskars so like there are other car it's not like this is their oh how do you build a car like they've been doing this for a long time so Fiskars taking their expertise I think Gita had said at one point you know why would we you know this takes some of the basic training stuff off our hands these people mm-hmm. know how to build a car <laughs> you know right. they've already done well, this <laughs> you know I mean every Mercedes Benz G wagon ever built since it launched in what 1979. Mm-hmm. has been built at that factory every so, single one and when you think about that that's that's a lot that's a lot of years of of building vehicles and expertise mm-hmm. and assistance and just like knowing how to make things come together better than somebody who's never built a car before because it's a ridiculously complicated process to get all of this to work together so it's a smart move on the part of fisker to say look we're not going to build our own factory we're not going to try and do all of this on our maybe someday Sure, but today we're going to rely on this expertise, and maybe that's how they'll go for whoever knows how long. Like you said, the G-Wagon's been doing it forever. But, you know, for now, this is the way to go for them. It makes good financial sense for them. So one last question about the the ocean. Yes. If you had the choice of I want a widescreen landscape display so I can watch uh, Stranger Things (laughs) while my car is charging. Okay. Or a fixed display... And manual vent controls. Oh, and Sam! Which, which one would you take? Ah, gosh. As, and and, oh. cons- and con- okay. as part as part of as part of your thought process, mm-hmm. consider what is the likelihood that at some point in the not yes. too in the, in the life of that vehicle mm-hmm. that that screen is going to stop functioning. The rotation component is going to stop functioning. Well, I'm not as worried about, honestly, the, the amount of, it's almost like it's over-engineered in a good way. I feel like the rotation screen, they've spent a lot, and they've, they, they, they seem very confident about the rotating. So aside from, you know, they even talked about, like, is your kid going to wail on it? You know, like, or it's like, like things they're trying to do. So, I don't know, but just the regular is something going to get jammed like, in there? Well, like, yeah. like, I've driven, like, you know, regular established OEMs, and their info, what if I had a Ford in the infotainment, poof, and just stopped working. So yeah. now you, so I couldn't change the temperature. So, um Ah, uh, oh God! I might, if I had to pick, take the air vents. I mean, the infotainment's really, really cool, but I, I one of those. I'm driving, and all of a sudden, I realize like the right hand side of my face is half frozen from the air vent, and I just want to flip it. And yeah. and you can't. It's not like it's as complicated like eighty five menus deep situation, but yeah. Well, I, don't I, know. I remember when the, when the Jaguar XF first came out in like two thousand eight, and it had the um, the rotary shift knob. That mm-hmm. rose up out of the center console. I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember that, because you know when the car was off, it was flush. You know, yeah. you had this flush surface for the center console. As soon as you hit the start button, this cylinder would rise up, <laughs> and then you would twist that to put it from park to reverse neutral yes. and drive. And <clears throat> given, uh, and also the the vents would were motorized because okay. when the, when the car was off, they would rotate back so you'd have a nice clean surface, and then yeah. they would flip around. And I I just remember thinking. Jaguar's history with and, and British cars history with electrical systems. And I'm just thinking <laughs> if you if you are a brand Stop. that has a less than ideal <laughs> history of quality electrical systems. That was very politically <laughs> phrased there, Sam. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean this this is the company that, you know, that brought us, you know, Lucas Electrical Systems, you know, where you yeah. had um, you know, I mean I, I remember when I was young, you know, seeing a cartoon in Road and Track of yeah. uh, a, a Lucas toggle switch in a British car, you know, that was labeled, three positions were labeled off, flicker, and dim. 
Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and Lucas was known as the Prince of Darkness. You know, so. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it, I mean, if 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 you, you know, if you've got to look at okay, what are the features I want to put in here? What is the likelihood that this is going to fail at some I point know. and be and a that, very expensive warranty and repair? It, it really is always my reservation with pot. I, you know, I love touch screens. I know you hate them, and we're going to just fight about that till the day we die. Um, but I, I don't. But I think we're both in agreement. There's some things that you don't want in a touch screen. Like there's some things. Give me a button. Uh, Give yeah. me a hard control for those things. I, I. And to like, their credit, Fisker does have a strip of hard controls below the screen. So you can change the temperature. Yeah, yeah, you can change the temperature. Like the, you just the, can't the, change where it's going. You just can't change the direction that it's going. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So to change the direction, once you have it all set, and I don't know, maybe I'm someone who just fiddles with the air vents in my car too much. But I'm always, you know, suddenly the the sun's on the left hand side, and now I'm I'm too cold. I'm too hot, and I want to change it. Ah. I don't know. I don't know. So I, it, it feels in my head like one of those things I'm being nitpicky, but I'm like, would this drive me absolutely like crazy <laughs> at a certain point? Or would I just get totally used to it? I don't know. But I think I, I'd, like, I'd like air vents. Air vents are info, spinning infotainment. I want both is what I really want. I want the air vents spun exactly the right direction, the infotainment and landscape so I can watch Stranger Things and perhaps a Diet Coke and a cookie on the little taco tray. Now, what if, what if perhaps they, you know, brought back the BMW gesture controls, which have disappeared from the latest BMW. They don't like those. And well, no. but, but what if, you know, you, you know, the gesture control was just for the vents. So you could just put your finger. It's like it watched where your finger was and you put your finger where you want the air to blow. It never works that well. Automatic. If I could just, but because if anything that's gesture control in a car, I hate because I'm talking, Sam can vouch as I'm talking right now. I'm talking with my hands. I just smacked the microphone. I'm talking with my hands all the time. So I'm like, I'll be in the car and I'm talking to someone. I have accidentally turned the radio up to absolutely the highest volume known to man by waving my hand in the car. And I'm frantically trying to turn it back down again. I'm not a fan of the gesture control unless you can get me, Sam, like Star Trek level control where I can point at it. It's going to know that I want to move the vent down. If you can do that, I'm all in. But unless it's that, I don't want it. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. I can, I, can, I can live with that. Okay. All right. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Did you know you can support Wheelbearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. Uh, let's see. What did I drive? Oh, I drove <laughs> the, uh, the 2022 Volvo XC60 Recharge, um, nice. which is uh, the plug-in hybrid version of the XC60. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, let me make sure it was, in fact, a 20. Yeah, it was a 22 model. It wasn't a 23 yet. Um, and so this was, there's actually two different versions of the 2022 XC60 recharge. Um, the early part of the model year, they had, it was carryover from the last four or five years that they've been building these. And then midway through the model year, starting from about March of this year, 
they switched over to an upgraded version, and they they rolled out that the upgrade of the plug-in hybrid system um, across all of the Volvo plug-in hybrids, the XC90 and the uh, the the S90 and and all the other models that have had the plug-in hybrid option, um, and the the new version brought a number of changes with it. Um, first of all, they changed uh, they made some changes to the four cylinder engine. Previously, uh, they, they've all had a two liter turbocharged four cylinder engine, but previously the plug in hybrid had the so called twin charged engine. So it had the two liter four with a turbocharger and a mechanical supercharger that generated, um, I think, uh, was it about 400, uh, or sorry, 300 and some horsepower, 315 horsepower, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, um, then had the electric motor on the rear axle. So it was a, what they call a through-the-road hybrid. So unlike the, the Prius where the, the motor is embedded in the transmission, this was the motors at the rear axle. Um, and they changed that up to make it more efficient and also to give you more range. Um, and the battery pack is mounted down the, the center transmission tunnel uh, or, or drive shaft tunnel. And so what they did was they got rid of the supercharger. Um, they went to uh, a different turbo, and they added a 48-volt mild hybrid system on there. So you've got a belted starter generator on there. Uh, and that's also on the non-plug-in hybrids. So that's standard on all the, the Volvos now. So you've got a 48-volt mild hybrid system, and that took the place of the supercharger to provide some a little bit of extra torque boost in there in some places and, and some regenerative braking. And they put a more powerful electric motor on the rear axle, 143 horsepower electric motor now on the rear axle. You get 312 horsepower horsepower at the front wheels for the from the engine. And then they upgraded the battery pack. So it's still the same si- physical size of battery pack, but they bumped it up to, I think, 18 kilowatt hours um, so that it now uh, went from having about depending on which model you're looking at, I think on the XC60, it was uh, 19 miles of electric range. Um, it now has a rating of 36 miles of electric range, an EPA rating. That's pretty good. Um, that's pretty good. That's very good, actually. And in my test on my, my usual drive loop that I do with plug-in vehicles, um, it uh, I actually got 39 miles before the battery was depleted. Wow. Uh, Wait a minute. The range was 33 and you got 39? 36. 36 and you got 39. Yeah. Wow. So that doesn't often happen over. that you beat it. It's normally like a little less. Yeah. No. So it was, it, was, it was very good. Very, very impressive. So you've got a total of 455 horsepower in this thing, um, 523 foot-pounds of torque. So this thing, you know, the, the, the XC60 is, you know, kind of their midsize two-row crossover. Um, you know, I personally prefer the V60. You know, I, I like more car-like. I like to be down lower. You know, it is what it is. And mm-hmm. this was also the, the Polestar engineered version, uh, which means that you get those bright yellow seat belts and the big giant um, Brembo brakes, or sorry, Akebono brakes, not Brembo, Akebono uh, brake calipers. They're, they're actually gold colored. Um, and also adjustable Olin's dampers, which are somewhat less useful than you might hope because they're not adaptive dampers that, you know, automatically adjust to the driving conditions. Mm-hmm. They're adjustable, but you have to go in and manually adjust them. So you can tighten up the damping rate. So if you want better handling, you can go in and adjust them manually. Um, and 
uh, tighten it up. Or if you want it a little more comfortable, you can make them a little, little, little bit looser. Um, but nonetheless, it's the the XC60 Polestar engineered. All all the Polestar engineered Volvos drive really well. Uh, I I really like them. Um, I am a and on the Polestar engineered, you also get sport seats that are more supportive. Uh, so you get uh, heavier bolsters on the sides. Um, very, very enjoyable to drive. Uh, it's quick, you know, 450 horsepower, 500 foot-pounds of torque. Uh, you can't complain about the performance. With the more powerful electric rear motor, um, when, you put the, when you put the car into pure mode, which is the EV-only mode, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, previously it had, I think, just over 100 horsepower, which was adequate, you know, if you were... You know, if you had a light touch on the accelerator pedal, you could drive around, you know, in electric only mode, you know, without holding up traffic too much. Um, the 143 <laughs> horsepower now, much easier to just drive it normally. Um, you know, that's uh, that, that gives you, you know, plenty of performance for regular day to day driving. Um, and then when you when you if you really get into the accelerator, then the engine will come on automatically. If you if you if you ask it for full performance, it it will just automatically come on and and give you that full 455 horsepower. Um, the interior you know hasn't really changed since the XC60 debuted. I don't know four or five the current generation XC60 about four or five years ago, um, and, but. The, the new one, with, with the change in the powertrain, they also rolled out the updated infotainment system, which is the Android automotive-based infotainment system. Um, and uh, Do you like it? I like it, yeah. It's, yeah. it's much better than the old census system. The old census system was not good. It was it, The performance, it, it got better over time. They, they upgraded the, the chips in there, so it, was, it became a little more responsive, but the interface was not, not great. I like I like the the new system, the Android Automotive system. Um, you know, so it's got built-in Google Maps, Google Assistant. Um, you can it's got the Google Play Store, so you can download some some apps uh, for streaming and uh, charging and assorted other things. Um, so that's that's all very helpful. Um, the when you when you're using navigation, the Google Maps actually show up in the digital instrument cluster. Uh, so. Uh, you can uh, you'll you'll see the maps right in front of you. You also get uh, with the heads up display. It'll tell it'll give you the prompts. You know when to turn and all that sort of thing. And I'm gonna drive a question. How much do you think? Because this came up and I meant to mention this and didn't. A car not having Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. If the infotainment system could be good enough that you didn't feel you missed it, do you think people would care about the Apple CarPlay and Android Auto? Um. Because that's the reason some, you go people, for it right now, right? Some like people probably would. Now, yeah. it, this does actually have support for CarPlay. Yeah. So if you are an iPhone user and you prefer to have the, the CarPlay experience, you can plug in your phone and have the CarPlay experience show up on the screen. Um, and, you know, if you don't want to, uh, you know, you, you have the option to log into your Google account. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you don't have to. Um you know, if you don't log into your, your own personal Google account, it'll just use a generic Google account, uh, and you can still download apps to the to the to the device. So you don't have to mess around with your phone. It's all you know the apps run right on the infotainment system, mm-hmm. um, and so you know I like I use uh, Pocket Casts to listen to um, listen to my podcasts, but you can also download Google Podcasts. You can download Spotify. 
uh, Tidal uh, is in there. There's, there's a number of different <coughs> media streaming apps that you can get, and they just run right on there, so you don't have to mess with your phone. Um, but if you, if you want to use Apple Maps, you can certainly connect your phone to it and use Apple CarPlay as well. That works just fine. Um, and then, you know, if you do log into your Google account, uh, you know, if, you, if you're in the Google ecosystem and, <coughs> excuse me, you use Google Assistant, uh, for example, and you've got it set up to recognize your voice, like, for example, in, in my household, um, you know, my wife and I both use Android, Android phones, and, you know, we've got Google Assistant set up to recognize our voices. We have one Google-powered speaker in, in the kitchen um, that, you know, for example, if I uh, say, you know, hey, gee, you know, add milk to my shopping list, it will actually put it on, it'll recognize my voice as distinct from my wife's voice, and it'll add it to the shopping list that's tied to my account. Oh, that's cool. As opposed yeah. to hers. Yeah. Uh, and, and you can do that with Siri as well. Right. Um, you know, I, I think Siri has that ability to recognize different voices. But if you don't log into your Google account in the, in the XC60 or any other Volvo, and this is, this is actually true of any vehicle that's got Android Automotive, um, it just uses a generic uh, you know, Google Assistant generically, so it doesn't have your personalization stuff in there. So, it, for example, you can't, you won't be able to add things to your calendar. Um, if you log in, you know, you can say, "Hey, G, you know, um, put an event on my, cal you know, put a doctor's appointment on my calendar for Tuesday at 10 a.m." and it'll just do that, mm -hmm. um, that sort of thing. So you you have more personalization if you log in, but you don't have to if you don't want to. Uh, necessarily share that kind of stuff with Google, so it's it's up to you. Um, what else? Uh, the the uh, comes with uh, four year subscription uh, to the connectivity, so you have support for all the Google Automotive services. Um, after you know, after four years, you have to pay for connectivity, but that's fairly typical of mm -hmm. uh, you know across the industry. You know, three, four, five years, somewhere in that range. Uh, for most brands, um, the uh, the XC60 still has the Pilot Assist. It doesn't have so it's a hands-on lane centering system. It doesn't. It's not hands-free driving. How did uh, you think it worked? Did you feel like it was good? Did it do what it, it was supposed to do? It has gotten much better over the years. I mean, when I first drove it on an XC90 back in, I'll say like 2015 or 2016, it was not good. Um, but since then it has gotten substantially better. Um, and, uh, so <clears throat> it, it's, it's still, you know, on some sharper curves on the highway, you know, it is a hands-on system. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you don't hold onto the wheel, it can drift out of the lane, you know, on okay. a sharper curve. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's not, it's not designed as a hands, hands-free system. So your hands should be on the wheel anyway. Right, so you're yeah. If you're using it wrong, it's not its fault. <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, let's see what else. Um, yeah, I mean, I I really like the modern Volvos. I like their their design language that they have on there, um, and the XC60 is a nice roomy five seater, uh, lots of cargo space in the back, um, and very very enjoyable to drive. Um, the total price um, on this, let's see the. For the Polestar engineered version, <clears throat> that one comes in at a base price of $70,000. Um, the, the regular XC60 plug-in hybrids start closer to about 60. Um, all in, um, this one was 71990 
Uh, I think the only yeah the only two options on it were the metallic paint for six hundred and ninety five bucks and the power lift gate for two hundred dollars. And then have you been paying enough attention to do the math to figure out the destination charge? I didn't math. I don't do math on Sunday morning, Sam. <laughs> I'll okay. take a guess, though. Is I, I'm going to go with, because I didn't do the math, so my guess, I, I feel like 12.95 is a solid number. Slightly over, over by 200 bucks. Oh, so, okay. 10.95. So I was close on the 95. Do I get credit for at least, like, knowing the 95? Price is right rules, you know. Okay. Go Dang over it. and you lose. Dang it. I should have just bet a buck. Robbie isn't here. You, I automatically would have won. won. Damn exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> um, all right. So that is the, the Volvo XC60 T8. Uh, Polestar engineered extended range, and and that's if if you happen to go to a Volvo dealer, if on the odd chance that they have actual inventory there, um, <laughs> what you want to look for is the X, or any of the Volvo plug-in hybrids that say extended range on them. Those get you depending on you know from the XC90 to the 60s, um, somewhere between 33 and 36, 37 miles of range, uh, electric range. Um, if it doesn't say extended range, then it's an older 22, um, and those are only going to be somewhere around 18 to 20 miles of electric range. Okay. So you definitely want the extended range version. Yeah. So that's the XC60. I like, you know what, I like, well, I've, I've driven that, and I agree with you. I, I think it's a great car, and I really do like the sort of uh, Scandinavian aesthetic of being sort of simple. Like, it, it delivers that luxury without having to have lots of chrome and flash and it's it's this understated thing. Like I'm a fancy car. I don't need to tell everybody. I like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right. So one other thing I want to talk a little bit about briefly. I think I mentioned earlier that I was in Austin for the last couple of days. Um, Electrify Expo was going on. This is an event that they do at five different locations around the country. Um, that they do one in Long Beach, uh, Miami, New York, Seattle, and Austin, Texas. And this is kind of a combination of car show, uh, bike show, and um, test drive event uh, where if you are interested in electrified vehicles, um, but you haven't had the opportunity to actually try one out and you want to be able to maybe try out a few different ones, um, this is a, a good opportunity to go out, learn more about vehicles, um, learn, um, you know, talk to some of the product experts there. And actually take test drives. You know, they were doing test drives in you know everything from Kia EV6s and BMWs to Lucid Airs and Rivians. Did you get to? Have you been in the Lucid Air? Yeah, um, I, I was actually in one last weekend for a couple of days. Oh, that's uh, okay. And I love that car. Uh, and then I drove one in September as well in uh, in California. What a great um, chance to get your hands on some cars though at that event that you would never uh, absolutely never get your chance to drive unless um, you're buying one and even and, then you're probably waiting for it <laughs> right and it's, it's not just cars um, it's also um, they had e-bikes and scooters um, and you know since I had actually driven all the EV all the electric cars and trucks they had there um, you know and I wanted to you know leave that opportunity for the you know the people that were there. I, I was there. I was um, speaking at the industry day on the day before, um, but I did uh, take the opportunity to ride a few e-bikes. I've never ridden an e-bike before, um, and these are. And I, cool. I actually have never ridden an e-bike. I've had the opportunity, and I was like, no. 
I just, <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm, I'm too scarred by the, the e-scooter that I feel like I'm always taking my life in my hands and I'm going to die. I'm like, I don't want to need anything unless it's got four wheels and doors. <laughs> well, I mean, if, you, if you've ridden a bicycle, I mean, it's, it's a bicycle. It's just, okay. just like any other bike, except yeah. that you can go a lot faster. Okay. Um, and uh, so I tried a, a couple of different uh, bikes. Um, I tried three different bikes, uh, one from Bosch. Um, and then a couple of different bikes from a company called Specialized Bikes. Okay. Um, and um, they're really cool. I mean, like on the the one, the higher powered Specialized bike, which has a range, uh, you know, nominal range of, I think about 110 miles um, between charges. Um, you know, and obviously that <clears throat> depends a lot on the terrain. If you're driving, like if you're riding it in San Francisco and going up hills all the time, uh, your range is not going to be as good. But um, you know, on the speedometer, you know, seeing like 20 miles an hour on this thing, you know, on a bicycle. And that makes you know, me nervous. Uh, but, I mean, you don't have to go that fast. How um, fast did you go? I went, I went about 20 miles an hour maximum. So you did because, yeah, yeah of course you did. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, I mean, if I had a longer straight line, I probably I could have actually gone faster. Uh, but, you know, the course that they had set up. That was uh, the most, I could have gone faster. I could, I mean, I could have gone faster, but they didn't let me go faster. I'm a better <laughs> driver. I like that, Sam. I could have gone faster. Whatever. <laughs> um, the, uh, you know, the, these are essentially plug-in hybrids, you know, so that and typically most of these have a battery that is either embedded in the lower part of the frame um, or attached to the lower part of the frame. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then an electric motor, uh, that is built into the, um, and these are electric assist, um, you know, so they're not, it's not like an electric motorcycle. It's, it's electric assist. They, they also had some live wire was there, Harley Davidson's EV division, electric motorcycle division. Have the, you ever, you were, do you drive motorcycles? I don't, I don't ride motorcycles. Oh, uh, I've always, so. I, I don't either. I don't do motorcycles and the live wire is always so intriguing to me, but I feel he, like. People I, I know, I, I mean, I think Robbie's ridden. He has. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and I, everybody, everybody likes says, it. Yeah. Everybody loves expensive. them. Except it's like, yeah, it's outrageous, isn't it? Yeah. In in the motorcycle world, which they, I know context they have reduced the, the price when it when it first came out a couple of years ago. The live wire was like thirty thousand dollars. Jeez, and they've, it's now down to about twenty grand. That's um, still kind of pricey, that's, right? That's, for a that's motorcycle, still, that's still an expensive bike, right? Okay, because yeah. I literally do not pay attention to motorcycle stuff at all because I don't know how to drive them and I don't know anything about them. So yeah, yeah. Um, but the e bikes, uh, you know, they're pedal assist, um, and so you you pedal. And, you know, it, it basically assists and, you know, makes you go and you can, you can select how much assist you want, you know, how fast you want to go. You know, there's a switch on the, on the handlebars, you know, so you can toggle it up and down and get different, there's different modes you can use. Um, So, you know, I tried three different ones and, you know, if, if I was riding, you know, on a regular basis, like for example, you know, if I still work in an office, you know, I live in Ypsilanti, Michigan. If I was still working in an office in downtown Ann Arbor, for example, I would seriously consider getting an e-bike, you know, for that commute into Ann Arbor. How far um, of a commute is that? I mean, to downtown, it's about, uh, I think it's about eight miles, seven okay, eight miles. No, okay, so that's reasonable. That's a reasonable amount of, like, yeah. e-bike driving. Right, yeah. and, and, you know, it's... It, it's good for that, you know, because there, there are some hills and stuff. Um, and, you know, if you're going to work, you know, you don't necessarily want to be all sweaty when you get to the office. So, right. you know, you still get some exercise, but you're not really working it so much. Uh, so it's, it's, it's really enjoyable to ride an e-bike. Um, 
The only problem with them is, like the motorcycles, they're kind of expensive. Kind of pricey. Yeah, I mean, the, the three different bikes I rode range between $4,000 and $6,000. And they can get oh gosh, considerably higher than that. Yeah. See, that's but, a I mean, lot high end, for a high-end bicycles are actually pretty expensive anyway. I mean, these things all had disc brakes and, you know, all kinds of other features on there. So they, they do get pretty expensive. Um, but, um, you know, if, if you're looking for an e-bike, you know, if you, if you, if you ride a bike regularly, um, and you want, you know, something to give you some assist, you know, on longer rides, um, or if you live somewhere where it's hilly and you want to ride a bike, I would definitely take a look at an e-bike. Certainly, you know, I mean, if you, if you lived someplace like San Francisco, for example, and you don't want to drive, um, you know, an e-bike is a great alternative in a place like that. Uh, yeah. because the, that electric assist, you know, helps you get up those hills. Uh, and it's, I it's wonder, a fantastic I wonder the net net, like, cause they're not cheap, right? They're kind of expensive. So, but if you're able to, even if you live someplace where it's not like beautiful all the time, like San Francisco, if the weather gets crummy, like it does here and mm-hmm. where you live, Sam, if for the months of the year where it is nice, you were able to just take, or the days, like even in a couple of days this week that were in the seventies and it's November, if you could take that e-bike to work and save yourself having to put gas in a car, if your other vehicle is a gas vehicle, you might net-net kind of make out on that in the end. Oh, yeah. You I know? Mean, it would certainly be a lot cheaper than driving, you know, especially yeah. if you're in California and you're paying right. you know, 6 or $7 a gallon. Or even here, Ouch. you know, it's still about four twenty a gallon. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it would be a lot cheaper. So, yeah, I mean, e-bikes are not inexpensive. But at the same time, it's a lot cheaper than driving a car. Yeah, and in the right case scenario, I can see where it makes sense. Like you said, you're eight miles away from the office. That's an easy, that's easy. You know, yeah. that's easy to do. Even when it's like a little bit chilly, it's still, it's eight miles from the office. Bundle up like you do when you work. You're a Miata guy. Bundle up like you do when you're yeah. Miata. Exactly. <laughs> and enjoy a little bit more warm weather, a little bit more weather before you have to put it away for the winter. So I, yeah. can, I can see how that would work. Yeah, no, so it's it's definitely something to consider as an alternative to uh, to a car if yeah. you want to want to go electric, but um, you know maybe maybe you're not quite ready to go all in on an electric car or SUV or truck, but you want you want to have some electrification in your life. An e-bike is a great alternative, and I think probably safer than most scooters. I think so. The scooters are too easy to follow. I'll kill myself on a scooter. <laughs> That's how I die on an electric scooter if I try and ride well, one. But <laughs> whatever you do, wear a helmet. Yes. Whether it's a scooter or a bike. Yes, definitely. All right. Um, let's get into some of the news items of the news, week. News, um, news. Uh, start off with the Volvo EX90, which was yes. revealed on what, Wednesday morning? Thursday Wednesday, morning? I Wednesday think. Morning. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we've finally seen the EX90 um, in its entirety, um, or we've, we've seen what it looks like. We don't have necessarily all the technical details on it, but right. we've seen what it looks like. Um, and so this is going to be the replacement for the XC90. Mm-hmm. Uh, starts production, um, I think, late summer next year in yeah. Charleston, South Carolina. That's going to be the first production location. And then they're going to add production in China as well for the Chinese market. Um, and... Uh, among other things, it's going to have standard uh, LiDAR luminar, luminar LiDAR, sorry, um, <laughs> that's, that is uh, on, above the windshield uh, as part of the sensor suite for the, the driver assist and safety systems. It's also got, we talked about this previously, I think, uh, radar sensors on the inside of the car, um, little um, low-power radar sensors that monitor all the seating positions 
So it knows, for example, um, you know, if there's somebody, if there's a living thing, a person or animal <laughs> in in that seating position, a creature, um, if it's it's been if it's been left, you know, if that if that person or animal has been left behind in the car, mm-hmm. um, you know, it can do things like automatically turn on the air conditioning, um, and you know, if it's a hot day. Um, I happen to think that's like the coolest thing that cars are now starting to do that. Like that a sensor can say there's, there's some living, breathing creature in this car you have forgotten about, whether it's your dog, your cat, whatever, your kid, hopefully not any of those things, but whatever it is. And it's like, well, I can't get there in two seconds, so they don't overheat. Let's just turn on the AC. Well, the, like, and the, the other thing it does, you know, if it detects it's a child, um, you know, in a, in a car seat or just a, just a child left in the car. Um, when you get out of the car, it will not lock the doors. Which if is it detects, amazing. If it detects so, a child in the car. So if it won't, so if you, so you try to lock the doors, it won't lock the door. And if you're still zoning out and you walk away without locking your car, if somebody else were to see that, they can just like open and at least keep your kid from like yeah. overheating and dying in your car. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yeah. That's kind uh, of so, I, I love it, how tech can do safety stuff like that. That was something you never even would have crossed your mind 15 years ago, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So what do you think of the, the design of the EX90? I like it. I'm, I'm fine with it. I don't, I think it's, it sort of, to me, looks kind of like the Volvos that we already have. Like, it doesn't look like it's a great design leap forward. It's just kind of in keeping with what they've already put out there. It still has its Thor's hammer headlights, mm-hmm. you know. What do you think? Uh, I, I agree totally. Um, you know, I was kind of hoping for something that was a little more of a reach, you know, like last year they showed us the, the Volvo recharge concept, mm-hmm. which, you know, we were told was kind of a preview of where the design direction they were going. And this doesn't really go there. Um, the recharge was, you know, a little, little bit more of a departure. This looks very much like the current, you know, aside from the clean front end, because you have no traditional grill there. Um, you know, it looks very much like the XC60, XC90 of yeah. today, uh, which is not bad. No. I mean, those are still attractive vehicles. Um, I think, you know, the, the fascia and, and the lights are probably the biggest change. One, one cool thing about the, the Thor's hammer lights, you know, when, when your headlights aren't on, you just have the Thor's hammer uh, running lamps in there. Mm-hmm. But when you turn on that, when the headlamps turn on, it actually splits in the middle horizontally and the two halves open up um, and then the headlights are in the middle between the two halves, the upper and lower half of the hammer. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I don't know why I like, it's, it's, it seems like the silliest design feature, right? We're going to make the headlights look like Thor's hammer. I love those stupid <laughs> headlights. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's something distinctive, uh, you know, that you look at it and you say, Oh yeah, that's a Volvo. Unless well, it's and Polestar. I kind of, but. You know, it's kind of the thing, though, like when you think about it, like there's a lot that's the same between cars, you know, mm-hmm. okay, they're all a seven seater, that's an SUV, it's an EV, what makes it different are the little touches, the design things, the small things, it's like, okay, your performance might be better or lower, your, your range might be higher or lower, but it's the design stuff that makes one car really seem, what, what do you like about a Volvo versus a Ford versus a Nissan or whatever. Like, it's the design that makes it what speaks to your heart. So I think like little the Thor's Hammer headlights, they speak to my heart, Sam. I love those. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I like them too. Um, and that's probably why, why Chevy copied them for the Blazer EV. <laughs> Burn! <laughs> <laughs> um, 
what about the interior? I mean, yeah, Volvo's always had sort of a, a very clean, yeah, you know, Scandinavian aesthetic in the interior. They don't get too. I mean, their interiors, like we we're talking about before, they're they're upscale and they're very luxurious, but they're never like flashy, fancy. This looks the same. They're not way. ostentatious. They're not ostentatious at all. They're very. It's a very muted sense of luxury. The headrests are funky. I'm looking at I'm looking at the pictures online what I have right now. What the headrests have this weird. I don't know. You know what they make me think of? They make me think, is this good or bad, of like cockpit seats in some like futuristic shuttle. I think I'm in Star Trek mode today. What is it? I'm thinking of like a Star yeah, Trek shuttle right be. now. Can you see that? Yeah, the I mean, they're, they're actually not that different from current generation Volvo. I know, but rest. in these pictures, they look very, they look very Star Trek-y. Yeah, okay. I approve. I'm okay with that. Thor's hammer, Star Trek, I'm in with all these things. So one of the details you know with the interior is um they've kind of gone the tesla route and eliminated almost all the switches and it's all all in the touch screens and you know touch surfaces on the steering wheel uh they they do have an instrument cluster display directly in front of the driver very similar to the the long horizontal strip that you find in a mustang mach-e yeah um 14 and a half inch tablet style well, there, um, a lot of them are going to that like, that driver instrument cluster. A lot of them are going to that very long, thin mm-hmm. display, which is funny because you look on, you know, like the EV thing is like, let's make this as long and as thin and as minimalist as we possibly can because of the future. And you look at some, like, cars that are right now and aren't trying to push the future thing. It's like, giant instrument cluster. You can customize it 85 different ways. We have things that pop up. You can see your like entire Like a BMW. Push. Yeah, yes, exactly. It's like, ah, like a kaleidoscope. Call muted little tiny strip that's inside the EX90. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, the, the absence of switches is really the only thing that, that concerns me here. Like, even even yeah. for the climate control stuff. And even, you know, it, in the, it does the, have the a current knob generation, on the air vent. They, they I, can a, see a little, I can see a little thing on the air vent, Sam. You can move the air vents. That's true. There's, there's actually a close-up <laughs> picture of yes. the, just of the little button that moves the air vent. That's one of the images in their press kit. That, Here's the air is, vent slider. <laughs> that is good. That, that, that's a good thing. No, no complaints there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that's – I'll be curious to see how well this works. You know, um, you know they, they do – it is Android Automotive-based again. Uh, like the current generation stuff, which means that it's it's actually very easy to, to you don't have to use the touchscreen to change the temperature. You can just say, mm-hmm. hey, gee, set the temperature to 68 degrees or 72 degrees or whatever temperature you want, and it'll right. it'll do that. Um, so it's it's quite you know it's quite simple to to control. And Google Assistant is very robust for doing a lot of that kind of stuff. It's very good at at natural language processing. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to remember specific syntax to do and it. And they are they are all getting better. That natural language mm-hmm. stuff. Once once upon a time they said that, and it really wasn't. Like it was very hard. It didn't do a great job at understanding you. You'd have to figure out what the keywords were that the system was starting was looking for in your sentence. And then you'd be like, oh, if I don't say this, it's not going to hear me. If I don't say that, it's not really going to hear what I'm asking it. Um, they're getting better and better. But a lot of these, you know, they look great in the images. The the concept of is all good. You have to drive it. You have to really get behind the wheel and have some time to use the voice activation, use the infotainment, see how much having things all in that screen as opposed to having actual buttons and knobs, does it work? Is it easy to access or is it a pain in the butt? You don't really know until you drive it. No. Um, So the the EX90, when it arrives here uh, in the fall of next year, um, is projected to have a range of about 300 miles on the EPA 
uh, EPA cycles. Um, and on the in Europe, on the WLTP, it'll be slightly higher than that. It'll uh, it'll be closer to 400. But realistic, real world range is probably going to be somewhere in the 300 mile range, which mm-hmm. for you know a fairly large three row crossover uh, is is pretty decent. Uh, yeah, it's not small. About that. Yeah. Um, and I think it's uh, about 200 kilowatt charging, uh, so it ch- should charge up pretty fast. Um, price point, uh, I forget uh, what they said. for. The, I think the price uh, for a nicely equipped one is going to be just under $80,000. So not an inexpensive car, but this is you know, going to be the flagship of the, of the Volvo lineup right. uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, and then, um, you know, they will, over the next several years, all the new Volvos, as each Volvo model is redesigned, it will be redesigned um, as an EV only. So by 2026, I think they've said, um, their entire lineup is just going to be electric. Um, no more, uh, no more engines. No more gas engines. Bye-bye. Yep. yep. All going away. All right. <clears throat> Um, not yes, not necessarily giving up on gas engines yet is Honda. <laughs> uh, As we say goodbye, wait, hold on one more second. <laughs> yeah. um, they revealed uh, the other day uh, the 2023 Accord, uh, which is uh, redesigned. Um, apparently still on, it's an updated version of the current platform, but um, new, new design that, I don't know, what do you think? It's. I mean, it's fine. I like the existing Accord. I mean, it's it's not it's not exciting. I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, like what yay. they've done with the Civic, and you know, kind of yeah. Like take it's like we've it, the it's basic not, idea and and honed off all the edges and you know right? simplified so, it. So like I'm I'm fine. It's fine. It looks good. I mean, I think they've they, Honda was getting this sort of like. We're going to be aggressive and sporty. And it's like, whoa, tone that down. And they did tone it down a little bit. I think it looks nice. It is, vehicle design is, I think in part because EVs don't have all that fancy grill work going on. They're mm-hmm. just flat. A lot of other cars are sort of following suit where, like, we're trying to make that front end nights not quite so busy and aggressive, you know? So I think that's kind of what they're doing with the Accord. I mean, from what I'm seeing from the very few images they have. Um, inside, it still has that honeycomb thing going on in the dashboard. Is that what I'm seeing? Like, look, that stripe across the middle yeah. of the dash. This yes. still has that honeycomb design. And I see lots of buttons and dials, just as a point of fact. There's lots of them. There's plenty of them on the steering wheel, on the middle of the dashboard. They're everywhere. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it does have the honeycomb strip uh, right, for the, still for there. the vents, you know, Which I like. I think that's the entire a neat, dashboard. I think that's a neat design mm-hmm. element that they have in Hondas. I think it looks cool. I don't know why I like it so much, but I do. Yeah. So only two powertrains available for this year, um, the 1.5-liter four-cylinder turbo uh, from the Civic as the base engine or a hybrid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, they're, I think they've said they're projecting about 50% uh, of their uh, – yeah, 50% of new Accord sales are expected to be hybrids. Um, so – uh, they're, they're I feel like buying a hybrid is almost becoming a no-brainer. And maybe, what, like 10 years ago, getting a hybrid was kind of like, ooh. Well, it was much more of a price premium then for It was much more expensive. So now it's like they're not that much. There isn't that. that It's not such a big deal to go up. And when you look at how much, like you said, if you're paying for gas in California, you're paying a small fortune for gas. Mm -hmm. So if you can go to a hybrid, take what you can get and run with it, you know? And, you know, this hybrid will probably be over 40 miles per gallon, uh, which is, you know, for a 
decent sized family sedan is mm -hmm. pretty impressive. It's good. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and this will also be the um, the first Honda to get uh, the new Android Automotive based infotainment system. So the base on um, on the LX and EX trims is a seven inch touchscreen that's non Android Automotive, but it has CarPlay and Android Auto support. And then the optional setup, the twelve inch screen, will have Android Automotive. So it's got the Google Play Store and um, Google Assistant and Google Maps and all that stuff built in. Mm -hmm. um, so that, uh, did they say when that's coming? Um, oh, I didn't catch a date. Wait, let me scan. Da -da -da -da. Uh, like the scanning press release. Scan quickly. Scan quickly, Sam. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, I think it'll probably be coming early in the new year. Uh, I, don't think they've, I don't think it says a specific date here yet. It's a 2023 model. Yeah, Honda, no, I can't. I don't see a date. I don't see yeah. any kind of date as I'm scanning down. I'm seeing like, what? 1982? That's when Accords first started production, not when they're starting. Well, actually, that was when they first started production in the U.S. In the U.S. I'm sorry. They, they started it in 76 was the original Accord. So in the Accords in the U.S., it was in Ohio in 1982. Fun fact, when you're scanning down a press release really quick. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the, the Accord was the first Honda built in North America, and I think the first Japanese-branded vehicle built. In mm -hmm. North America, um, in uh, Marysville, Ohio. There you um, go. All right. <clears throat> um, Kia, um, the yeah. EV6, uh, EV6 is sort of getting more expensive for 2023. Only uh, sort of? Only sort of. Because okay. the, I saw a few things the other day that popped up saying, oh, they're raising the price of the EV6 by $7,000. Um, that's partially true. Um because the cheapest EV6 now you can get is $7,000 more than it was for 22, model year 22. But that's because they are discontinuing the, the standard range model, the base uh, standard, you know, shorter range. It was like 230-mile range mm -hmm. um, for um, uh, with rear-wheel drive. Did that they say what the, Did they say the why? I haven't read through this whole thing, I admit. They, did they say why? It doesn't why? really say why, <clears throat> but my guess is it probably has something to do um, with uh, the fact that they're now launching the Nero. Yeah. And the Nero kind of fits into that same price slot where the base EV6 was. Right. You know, in that just under 40000 to mid $40,000 price range, you can get the Nero EV in that price range with actually slightly more range than mm -hmm. you got with the base EV6 last year. Yeah. And then the EV6 now starts with the wind trim, which was previously the, the mid-level trim. Um, that's now. What do you the think about trim. these names? The wind, the wave. How do you feel about these trim names? It's, be <laughs> it's better than EX or LX, I guess. Okay. Or limited or S, you know. You know, I mean, it, it's all, you know. Because it wasn't, it wasn't didn't Kia once have the, was it the soul that was like, Pop exclamation point. Yeah, they like, did. They had exclamation points and plus signs in there. In of course, they also the most... had commercials where hamsters were driving them. So, well, yeah, you know, details, whatevs. Yes, yeah. they did. Yeah, mm -hmm, the two that was hamsters were a part of the deal at the time. Yeah, <laughs> I always liked the Soul. The Soul was a cool little. car. I actually really like the Kia Soul. I like yeah. it. I, I I think it's a fun little car. I still like it. I've liked it for years. I still think it's a great little option. Great if you need to put cargo in something. It's a little boxy. Mm -hmm. it's, it's great for cargo. Uh, so the uh, the for for uh, 2023 model year, the base Kia Wind Kia EV6 Wind rear wheel drive starts at uh, just just under forty eight thousand forty just over forty nine thousand with delivery charge. Mm -hmm. Assuming of course that you can actually find one, yeah, which is that's a whole the other st 
And I do like the EV6. I think the EV6 is a really strong, mm-hmm. um, it's a strong vehicle. It's good. Good yeah. stuffs. Yeah. All right. And then the last one, um, Audi uh, with their first EV, the e-tron. Uh, they've had some success with that. They've sold, since it came out in 2019, I think they said they've sold about 150,000 of them globally. Um, and you know, it, when it came out, it was just called the e-tron, the Audi e-tron. Nothing, nothing else. No, just no e-tron. Other, just e-tron. And at the time, uh, you know, somebody from Audi told me, "Yeah, we're, we kind of see this as like the original Audi Quattro in the, ni- the 1980s, where the Quattro, um, you know, which ultimately came to be known as the Ur Quattro, the original Quattro. It was just the Quattro coupe, mm-hmm. and you know, the now it's the you know the e-tron. This, this is the Ur e-tron." And then, you know, they started tacking on the e-tron name to everything else, like the e-tron GT, the Q4 e-tron, and others that are coming. And so they've decided for model year 24, they will rebadge the original e-tron as the Q8 e-tron. Okay. Um, and it's also getting a bunch of upgrades uh, for, for 24. Um, you know, the, the e-tron, the, the original e-tron was always nice to drive, um, but uh, it was not didn't have the greatest range, especially compared to Tesla's and some others, you know, they ultimately upgraded it. They got it up to about 240 mile range. Uh, it was originally like 204, 205 mile range, mm-hmm. uh, which was not great for a premium EV. Um, but, um, uh, with the switch to the Q8 e-tron name, uh, it's getting a bunch of upgrades. It's getting new motors. Uh, there's the SQ8 e-tron, which will be a three motor version I don't think they're saying exactly how many, uh, how much uh, power that one's going to have, um, but the um, there will be two battery sizes: 91 kilowatt hour, which is basically what they have today, and a larger 114 kilowatt hour variant. Um, and the 114 kilowatt hour battery is the only one that's going to be offered in the U.S. market. Um, and um, the range uh, they've said, uh, you know, along with the motors. They're changing a bunch of other things to try and make it more energy efficient, and it will get a 300-mile range with the Q, when it gets the Q8 e-tron badge. Which is nice. Yeah. So that's a, that's a pretty hefty jump. Uh, and they're also speeding up the charging a little bit from 150 to 170 kilowatts, uh, and they say it'll charge from 10 to 80% in about 35 minutes. So, so that, pretty speedy. Yeah. So the Audi Q8 e-tron and SQ8 e-tron – uh, coming sometime next year as model year 24. All right, let's um, let's answer some listener questions. Uh, there's a note here that says you have a couple of questions yeah. online that you want to answer. Yeah, I was I had thrown so, this up on my well, Twitter, and, and there's some guys on Twitter who asked some questions, and I, I was trying to copy it over, and my tech was failing me, and I'm like, ah, forget it. I'm just going to read them to Sam. Okay, <laughs> so um, let me scroll down a little bit. So one of the questions that someone had asked. Oh, I like this all, first one that's on here. Do you see it? Uh, no, wait, how I'm many cannoli to... can fit on the taco tray? And oh my god, make... I missed that. Where's that? Make... <laughs> that's on the. Ah, that's just kidding. And can we make cannoli can... cannoli oh a universal gosh. unit of measurement? Mm, I approve of making a cannoli a universal version of measurement only if it's the ones used at Mike's Pastries because I have a soft spot for that okay. there in Boston. Um, how many cannoli? I'm going to guess. I feel like you could five, Paul, five solid Mike's cannolis. On top of that taco tray. That was probably the most important question of the entire podcast right there. Um, 
You got got the pastry reference in. <laughs> got the pastry reference in. Um, the other questions they were asked by a supercar Johnny. He asked two questions. One, he said um, he was asking about my impression of the Magna facility and what did I feel was the quality of the vehicles that we tested. Um, and um, I thought the facility is very impressive. I mean, I've been to a lot of of automotive, you know, to factories like for other companies. Um, it reminds you of that. I mean, it seems on par with that. It's very slick. They have a lot. It feels like a very well oiled machine, and it feels like a great factory. Um, and the quality of the vehicles that I saw, and again, the pre production was not like they're falling apart. They aren't quite there yet. It's just like, well, we're making this particular trim. We're going to make it a little bit better. So everything that was production and that was that was. Everything that wasn't changing the quality felt really good. So I don't think that I would, um, I don't think I would knock the quality of anything Magna has done, especially for other vehicles because they've been doing so much. Sam, do you have any issues with Magna's vehicle quality? No, I mean every vehicle that I've ever driven that was built there, um, you know, including the Jaguar I-Pace, um, the the Mini Countryman. Um, the Mercedes G wagon, you know, there's a, there's a whole bunch of different ones that have been built there over the years. Uh, many of which are still being built there. Um, they've always had excellent, outstanding build quality. So I, I suspect that the, the Fisker ocean, um, of, of all of the, you know, these startup EV makers, my guess is the Fisker ocean, at least from a quality perspective mm-hmm. will probably be among the best you will find from a right. startup from a I startup brand because it, yeah. it's a startup brand but it's not really um a startup manufacturer magna is not a startup manufacturer they know how to do this stuff right yeah the like Ma- fisker might be a new brand but magna is not new to this space the other question that he asked in that same question was did i think it was smart that henrik um henrik fisker gave six percent of the company gave away six percent stake to avoid the manufacturing headaches I don't know from a financial point of view if, you know, 6%, 10%, 2%, I don't know about that. But in terms of making the decision to go with an expert to avoid some of the manufacturing headaches you would have with not being an expert in doing that, I think that's why, as we kind of touched on that before, Sam, I think a little bit, mm-hmm. how it, you know, by, by going with somebody who has the experience, that's, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're going asset light. There's a lot less capital investment for, for Fisker, uh, themselves, mm-hmm. you know, they don't have to spend a billion dollars to build a factory. Right. Um, you know, they can focus on the design, the marketing, um, you know, some of the engineering and, you know, let a company like Magna Steer that, that knows how to build this stuff, you know, knows how to, knows how to screw this stuff together. Um, you can have a very high degree of confidence that those, those vehicles coming out of the factory will be pretty much right from day one. I think it's a huge advantage. I think by doing that, I think that, you know, uh, any concerns about, you know, about it not being put together well or not having, you know, these panel gaps, whatever, the kind of stuff that we as journalists complain and, you know, moan about, oh, the panel gap, and an average person might not even notice that, but sometimes they do, or just the overall quality. I don't think you're going to run into those issues because Magna is, is going to put it together right. That's, that's my feeling. Um, he also, Johnny, Supercar Johnny also asked, this is just fun. This has nothing to do with anything we were talking about. Uh, a bonus question, 2017 plus Acura NSX or Ferrari 458 Italia? Oh, you go first. Um, I've not driven the Ferrari. Um, I've heard them. Um, (laughs) I have driven the NSX on a couple of different occasions. Yeah. I love the NSX. Yeah. Um, but I think I got to go with the, the sound of that Ferrari 458 V8 engine. Um, so so based on the sound alone, the Ferrari wins for you? 
I think so. Yeah. Okay. See, I, I, I agree. The Ferrari, that's, mm, that sounds yummy, but I love how the NSX drives. Yeah. I, I mean, it. it is great to drive. It's, it's so much fun. And I have not driven the Ferrari. So maybe if you put me behind the wheel of a 458 Italia, I changed my mind, but the Acura NSX. Oh God, I love that car. So I'm going to say Acura NSX. <laughs> Okay. That's Good so enough. we're gonna we're gonna disagree, and I think those were the only couple of questions that I had. Go for another one on your list there, and if okay. anything else pops up, I'll let you so know. So let's um, let's start with Ray here, uh, and this was uh, an email question that came in. And speaking of which, uh, before I get into the question, um, you know, we've generally always asked for questions on Twitter, uh, but we'd like you to also we'd also like to encourage you to send in your questions given the um, precarious state of Twitter and what its future may or may not be. Um, send us, all, you know, please send us your questions uh, to, at feedback at wheelbearings.media. Uh, you know, you can send them in anytime there, we, feedback at wheelbearings.media, um, and I'll pull them out of there and, and pull them in here. Um, I'm also in the process of setting up a presence uh, for uh, wheelbearings on Mastodon, um, and I think probably also going to set up a discord uh server for uh and where people can join the discord and uh comment and ask questions and stuff in there as well but anyway ray uh (laughs) says is there a future effort by automakers to offer an option like a dash cam that could use the onboard infotainment screen to display video since modern cars have a rear-facing camera it could record activity behind you with minimal additional cost per vehicle just add a forward-facing camera and you have a multitude of views I've heard that Tesla offers something like this, but are automakers for the for the masses thinking about adding this to their cars? I have not purchased an aftermarket dash cam because of the additional screen that I feel uh, would have to I'd have to put out of sight every time I park it, uh, and for security reasons. Also, the cables running everywhere makes it too much of a hassle. So, um, yeah, Tesla does have dash cam capability built into mm-hmm. their vehicles. Um, you can I <clears> think <throat> they store the video. Um, in in the vehicle, and then you can stick a USB thumb drive into the USB port in the car and, and off, extract the video that way. <clears throat> you can also uh, uh, most almost all new cars now, um, or certainly the vast majority of new cars now have forward facing cameras uh, that they use for the the driver assist systems for collision warning, lane keeping mm-hmm. assist, that sort of thing. So the cameras are there, although. Uh, yeah, they're they're typically most in most vehicles they're one point three megapixel cameras, so it's not real high quality. Um, but I think most dash cams are probably not much more than that anyway. There are some HD dash cams out there. Um, they would have to add uh, some ability for storage. GM um, on some of their performance cars, some of the Camaros, and certainly on the Corvettes, they offer um, the performance recorder. I think it's something like, call it something like that. Yeah, there's a, there's a feature data recorder. I think it's yeah, it or something. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I think. So there, there's a feature in there that uses that forward-facing camera, um, and it's primarily designed for use on the track uh, when you take it to a track day, um, and you can stick um, a uh, an SD card in there and record, and it records not only the video but also records a bunch of vehicle data on there, and, and can do an overlay. Um, you know, so you can look back at your, at your, at your laps on the track and see how you were doing at various points, what kind of speed you were getting, what kind of lateral acceleration. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so it's certainly possible to do it. Um, you know, and my guess is that what we will see is in the next couple of years, uh, this will become a feature 
that a lot of automakers offer as a uh, subscription that you can pay oh, five, ten bucks a month. You know, it's you all be able to use it about as a dash all that cam. subscription it's, stuff. It's, it's all about that. If, if you want to pay for it, they'll they'll be happy to give it to you. Yeah, one extra little bitty piece if you want that extra stuff. Yep. All right. Uh, William Charles asks, uh, "Hey crew, just a little real world experience in the EV world. Doing a few road trips with my EV6. I've put seven thousand miles on it. The Electrify American network is by far the most dependable and widely available." Um, I would certainly agree with the second part of that, widely available, okay. aside from Tesla superchargers. Yes. Um, my experience with the old chargers has been rather hit or miss. Uh, I have gotten speeds up to 235 kilowatts on rare occasions, but I've also gotten speeds down around 50 out of a 350 kilowatt charger. Ouch, that's painful. Yeah. Well, I've, hey, I've gotten 5 kilowatts out of a 350 kilowatt charger in the e-tron GT, so... That's awful. Yeah. Can you imagine, like, really, I just keep thinking, if you were, like, really looking, like, okay, we're just going to top this off. We'll be back on the road. Five kilowatts. No, you're not yeah. going to be back on the road. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've used the new chargers once, getting about 165 out of a three kilowatts out of a 350 kilowatt charger. Um, the spots were well identified with painting on the ground, but the software did crash in the middle of the charge. The car continued charging. I would, I would still uh, say at this point that you should always have a backup and never rely on a single charging point because things could go wrong, could go bad rather quickly. Uh, please feel free to reach out. I'd have uh, much more, a lot more network experiences, including apps, and also uh, would really appreciate learning more about the DC charging networks. So, yeah, and this, this is the problem is the inconsistency right. of the performance. Sometimes they work great sometimes they don't and yeah. so that's that's a, a a real a real pain um and if you're on a road trip if you know if you're around town you know then you're much more likely to have multiple options available for dc fast charging if mm -hmm. the station you go to isn't working um there's a decent chance in a lot of cities that you know you can go a few miles and and find another one that will be working much better the problem is if you're on a road trip, you know, if you're driving yeah. across country, um, a lot of times, you know, there may be charging stations, you know, today, you know, every 60, 70 miles. Um, and there, especially in rural areas, there may not be another option. So this is why it's imperative that um, these companies really make sure that these things are working consistently, working fast, you know, working up to spec all the time. Yeah, you know, just like and they're not, and that's do. that's the inconsistent. Like, and you, it's that probably is the biggest frustration. You just don't know. You can find one that's working. You can find one that's open, and then you get there, and it's like, yeah, it's not your your speed is just off. That's it's a frustrating situation. It really is frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Coach Cabrera asks uh, another one where we have to make a choice. Oh, make a choice. Okay, let's see. Pick one. 2019 Model 3, 50,000 miles, uh, 3.0 software. Or 2018 Tesla Model S, 78,000 miles with the older 2.5 software. So a used Model 3 or a Model S? A used Model 3 from 2019 with, or a used Model S from 2018 with more miles. I'm going with the Model 3 because it doesn't have any, many, as many miles and I like the updated software. And... Yeah, so I'm going with the Model 3. Okay. What are you going with? Uh, the Kia EV6. That is not one of our options. <laughs> <laughs> That's cheating, Sam. <laughs> hey. That's just me. You know, the Kia EV6. 
Uh, all right. Uh, Michael H. Uh, asked us, uh, and I think this one was, uh, he's, uh, he's, I think, a patron, if I recall correctly, um, or it might have been William that was the patron. Uh, one of these came in through Patreon. Uh, says, I'm from Canada, so I'm wondering, what do you think is the chance for the government, uh, both U.S. and Canada, to install or mandate the installation of Level 3 chargers instead of just regular chargers? That should be considered as stopping for gas for most EV owners. Thanks. Um, so, uh, you know, at least here in the U.S., um, you know, we've got the infrastructure bill and that the first tranche of funding for that, you know, that, that bill included seven and a half billion dollars for, uh, mm-hmm. installing more, um, EV charging across the country, especially in right. underserved areas. And it's actually going to be a mix of both. Um, the, you know, there's going to be a lot of level three chargers, those DC fast chargers, uh, but there will also be level two chargers that are put in, um, you know, in public places. Um, you know, again, as I said, especially in in smaller towns and and various other underserved areas, where right now it can often be very difficult to find charging. Um, sure, level three is preferable from a speed standpoint, but it also puts more stress on your battery, um, and um, the equipment is much much more expensive. Yeah, uh, that, and that's like a big thing about it. It's like if I can give you one level three or I can give you three level twos, you can you can get a lot more people some kind of charging by going well, well, with, it's actually, you know. It's much more. I mean, Is it worse? A, a, yeah. level, a, a level two AC charger, you know, for a public charging setup, you know, uh, you know, like what you'd find, you know, curbside or in a parking garage, things like that, are typically, uh, that would cost mm, somewhere between three and $5,000 installed okay. to do that uh you know it depends on what the equipment is that's available there level three chargers dc fast chargers you're talking upwards of a hundred thousand dollars holy schnickety's yes. batman that's a huge difference and and this is why you know, when you go to a dc fast charger you know the price that they charge for charging a lot of level two chargers you know you know especially if it's you know a business that put it in they just give it to you for free they, they let you charge for free because it's you know it's a convenience, you know the cost of the electricity is pretty minimal, um, and you know, or even if you do have to pay for charging, the cost is pretty low. Uh, you know, maybe a, a, a few cents a kilowatt hour, maybe you know, a, a dollar for a half hour of charging. Whereas if you go to a level three charger, you know, you're paying anywhere from thirty to forty five cents a kilowatt hour typically, um, and you know. Charging up, you know, if you're on a road trip, charging up an EV, you know, doing a full charge, you know, that might cost you $40, $50, $60, which is not that much cheaper than, I mean, it's cheap generally, especially in a bigger vehicle, it's going to be cheaper than putting gas or diesel in it, but it's still fairly pricey because the the equipment is very expensive, uh, needs more maintenance, and also, you know, the infrastructure to support that you know, the capacity, the electrical capacity to put in there is expensive. So it, it is expensive to do DC fast charging. Um, so that's why you're going to see a mix of both. Which makes sense. I mean, it yeah. would be nice if everybody could do it, but yeah, from a cost point of view. Yep. All right. Uh, last two come from Dan Vesma. Uh, it says, what happens if one of the myriad of new car makers goes broke? Uh, would EV owners be left with impossible to service cars? Would they be bricked without connection to their manufacturer? 
I don't think they'd be bricked. I mean, you're going to find someone who's going to be able to work on your car, but how well you're going to be able to update and keep that car current and who's going to be willing slash able to service it could become questionable. Yes. Yeah. They're not not necessarily going to be bricked. Hopefully they won't be bricked. I would hope they wouldn't be bricked. If a manufacturer makes it so that it has to be connected to function, then... I wouldn't buy that car. That sounds sounds crazy. Um, But being more difficult to service is definitely going to be an issue. I mean, and this has been an issue, for example, with um, a lot of people that bought the first gen Tesla Roadster. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, Tesla obviously hasn't gone away, but you know, that car had components that ultimately were not shared with any other Tesla. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of stuff on there was bespoke to that vehicle. Um, you know, even though they built fewer than 2,500 of those cars, uh, there were also multiple generations of it. So, right. uh, you know, they changed, and, and Tesla still does this. They still change the stuff regularly. Um, so, and this is one of the reasons why even Tesla, you know, sells more EVs than anybody uh, for now, um, you know, getting service parts is difficult because they regularly change the designs. They change the motors. They change all kinds of things. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's a, you know, it's definitely an issue. And this is one of the challenges that startups have is, you know, do, am I confident that this company is going to be around in three, four five years or 10 years? You know, is, am I going to be able to keep this vehicle running? Um, and so it, um, it's, it's going to be difficult, um, for, for those companies. So if you do buy from a company that, you know, goes out of business, um, it, you know, you're going to have some be, challenges. I mean, you're definitely going to. Might be kind of like buying a, a used uh, social network, you know, that you know, will just gradually decay over time <laughs> and eventually just stop working. Uh, you know, in, in terms of like parts, that's a whole question. But I, the one of the things that um, Fisker is doing there, actually Bridgestone is going to be able to service their vehicles they're gonna, because they're not going to have a million Fisker dealerships. They're not following that model and they're only going to have so many of their mobile service units and is. I don't say one guy in Montana is going to need help or not be able to get to that one guy in Montana. So there's going to be Bridgestone service centers that will be able to work on your Fisker if it needs it. But you're still stuck. Okay, even if, that, even if they know how to work on it, if you can't get a part anymore because the company's out of business, it's a whole different issue. But at least they, they try to come up with a service solution, at least, to the problem of being a small EV startup. But the part solution is, is a trickier one, I think, to overcome when there's, like you said, Sam, bespoke parts that you may not be able to get from any other it's not like it's interchangeable or sort of a common part that you can get from anybody uh you know in the case of fisker um you know even if fisker did go under um because the vehicles are being built by magna right magna is not going anywhere they're exactly. going to be around for a long time exactly so, so at least they, you have that yeah they, they, they may well decide you know if fisker goes bankrupt you know magna might end up buying at least some of the assets some of the ip and they could keep providing service parts for right. An extended period of time, uh, you know, and then in conjunction with Bridgestone or, or somebody else, you know, make those parts available. So even if they stop building the vehicles, they could still have a, an inventory of service parts. Right. Yeah. So. All right. Well, that's it for this week. That's um, it. Thank you, everybody, for your questions. Thank you, Nicole, for being here. Yeah. Um, Next week, all three of us. Yes. All of us. All yes. three of us at once. The whole team, please. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, and remember, um, 
please also, you know, send in your questions at feedback at wheelbearings.media. Um, we'd love to get them there as well. Um, you know, just in case, you know, we end up with a bricked uh, social network. Uh, <laughs> we don't want we don't want that to be the only uh, the only means to get in touch with us. And and I'm working on other stuff as well, like like I said, like Discord and and Mastodon. So. All right. Uh, later, people. Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.